Hello and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds, but also preview what's to come this next week at Charlestown Road. Roger, appreciate the lesson that you took us back to. We've spent a good amount of time here in recent weeks after our vacation Bible school in the garden. There is always lessons that we can learn from Genesis 3, and so you took us back there this past Sunday morning. Yeah, and what we did is we just kind of walked through uh, what we call the temptation that leads to the fall of man. This is a pivotal time in, in Bible history and the history of mankind. Up to this point, we find Adam and Eve in the garden. Everything's great. Uh, the serpent appears, conversations take place, and everything good that God established unravels. You know, it was not God's intention for man to disobey him. God's plan was never to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden. But all that came about as we read these first nine verses of Genesis chapter 3. And so what we did is we just kind of walked through those verses and talked about that. And there's really uh, three main events that takes place. First of all, the serpent speaks. And what he does is he presents a question to Eve. That's uh, the first question in the Bible. And one of the points we made after that is the devil is always putting question marks where God puts a period or an exclamation mark. And God says things, and the devil makes us question that. Is that really the way it is? And so the devil spoke, and Eve listened. And it's just a marvel that she's having this conversation. And in the process, the devil knows what he's doing. And he's fooling Eve, and he's tricking Eve, and the book of First Timothy will say that she was deceived by the devil. And so through the process of this conversation, she begins to question the integrity of God uh, as she responds to what the question is, that you cannot eat from any tree. God did not say that. God said you could eat from every tree except one. And so then as she quotes that, she says that uh, if you eat from that one tree you're not supposed to or touch it, verse 3, you will die. Immediately, Satan replies in verse 4 and says, you will not die. Now, he says that without any evidence, without any proof. And what's behind all this is God said you're, you're going to die, but you're not. You can't trust what God says. God is wrong. And so with that... Her mind starts going the wrong direction. She starts believing this, and she takes the fruit, and she eats it, and she gives it to Adam, and he eats it. And so in the progression of our sermon, the serpent spoke, and Eve listened. And then Eve spoke, and Adam ate. And what we really brought out in verse 6 of Genesis 3, it was kind of a new revelation to me. I just had never thought about this before. But the text shows us, and as we went to different translations, they all support this idea that Adam was right there with Eve. I sometimes had in my mind that he's off in the garden somewhere picking beans or doing something, <laughs> you know, and she ate the fruit and came out there to him and gave, but he was standing right there. He was right there when the serpent was talking to, to Eve. And what we find here is he was there, but he said nothing. 
He said nothing to the serpent. He said nothing to Eve. And then he did nothing. He did nothing to the serpent, and he did nothing to Eve. And so what follows from this, and we see this all throughout the Scriptures, we see this heavily in Romans 5, we see this heavily in 1 Corinthians 15, is that God holds Adam responsible. Adam, you listen to your wife, what it says in verse 17. Rather than listening to God, you listen to her. And so God holds him responsible. He was there, and he didn't do anything. Now, as we wrap that sermon up, we made the point that the sermon is is still speaking today. He speaks to a lot of us, and we looked at some practical ways that we can deal with temptation, such as knowing the will of God and resisting the devil and things such as that. But but what, what I think would be helpful for us to kind of talk about today is that point there about Adam. Adam was there, and he didn't do anything. And what I see right there is just a mirror to a lot of homes today, is that dad is there, but dad doesn't say anything. Dad doesn't do anything. And the leadership in the home is placed upon not parents, but the father. And so I think it would be helpful for us just kind of kind of run with that just a little bit and talk about that. You know, uh, had Adam not been there, we might say, well, you know, happened to what happened. But he was there, and he saw it, and he did nothing. Right. It was a failure of leadership. And I, I think it is so powerful to acknowledge the account there in Genesis 3. You did a great job walking us through it, and there is so much that we can learn biblically from that third page of our Bibles, but especially here in the middle of the week, realizing that the, these these pathways of temptation, they have not disappeared. They are not extinct by any stretch of the imagination. All the way over on the other side of the Bible, in First John chapter 2, John, by inspiration of the Spirit, draws attention to these same three avenues of temptation when he says, First John 2, 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That is a lesson that I need to learn and apply as an individual disciple, especially as a husband and a father, as you're drawing this conversation into a a particular focal point. I need to be aware of this, and I need to be the chief spokesman in my own home. Let's just kind of uh, walk through these, uh, first of all, these three lanes of temptation. When you hear, okay, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, what is, number one, the desire of the flesh going to look like in 2022? 
Well, it's, it's going <clears> to, <throat> I think, be more physical things. It, it may be sexual temptation. It may be pornography. It may be gambling. It may be drinking. You know, those the, the, those things that appeal to the flesh of person. And, you know, the temptation becomes stronger when we're surrounding ourselves with people who are doing those things. And so we, we put ourselves in wrong places when we're, it's all around us. And we see that and all of our friends are doing that. And everyone that we call friend is doing those things. The, the temptation is it's easier to do what they're doing than to stand out and be different. And so the, so the things of the flesh, uh, it's, it's just, it's just exactly what that means. It's just the outward temptation of things that, uh, people are passionate about. And, and again, they lead us away from God. All right. So as a husband, as a father, I need to be on guard against the desires of the flesh personally. But what I hear you making a connection to from Genesis chapter three is, I need to take the lead in saying what sort of things with my family when it comes to the desires of the flesh. Maybe there are some places, for instance, we're not going to go. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's there's going to be some some movies. It's just off limits because they're just they're not healthy and and they're not going to promote good ideas. There may be some concerts that that uh, the kids want to go to, but the atmosphere is just not going to be right. Uh, there's some places, you know, the, the, a lot of people like to go to these little pubs and little bars and hear, hear the a little group singing and everything. But the atmosphere is not a healthy atmosphere. And so, so dad's going to have to be there. Now, Adam was there, but Adam didn't say anything. Adam didn't do anything. And so us fathers need to remember. We need to remember what it's like when we were a teenage boy. And our daughters are going to go out of the house. We need to think about that. We need to see how our daughters are dressed and realize, okay, you know, that seems awful short. That seems awful tight. That doesn't seem appropriate for someone who makes a claim for godliness. And, and just to say, well, you know what? I, I don't want to get in the messy argument here. I, you know, I'll let her mother take care of it. I just don't say anything. You're standing with Adam when you do that. God has put us in the roles of fathers to be the head, and the head must make those tough decisions. And sometimes you will be the bad guy. Sometimes you're going to say, no, you need to go upstairs and change. No, you need to put something else on, because this just isn't what we do in this family. Would you go so far as to say that a dad needs to be aware of what his children are posting, for instance, on social media? Absolutely. I'll go farther than that. Dad needs to have the passwords. Yeah. Uh, if you live in that house, uh, you know, there, there should be no secrets. Uh, it, it, it's a danger. Uh, it's a danger to have kids have their own computer or tablets in their rooms where they can go and shut the door and they have free access to anything. Uh, that's just that's just inviting the snake in your house. Uh, there's all kinds of parental controls. There's all kinds of safeguards you can put on your electronic stuff. And a, a dad who's sharp is going to do that. But when we stand with Adam, we don't say anything, we don't do anything, our kids wind up getting in trouble, who's to blame? Well, God blamed Adam. 
Yeah, you you highlighted in your sermon that as God confronts there in Genesis chapter three, He comes looking for the man. Uh, I, I would suggest one way maybe of illustrating that if God were to come and knock on the front door of my house and and my wife answers, He He certainly wants to have a relationship with her. He certainly is going to hold her as an individual created in the image of God, accountable, but if he's knocking on that door looking to have a, a conversation, he's going to ask where I am. I think that's one of the foundational lessons that we learn from Genesis 3. You know, years ago, uh, I remember this as a kid, when, when the uh, 10 o'clock news used to come on a long, long time ago, and they always had this little thing before the newscast began, it's a 10 o'clock Parents, do you know where your children are? <laughs> and I think that'll be repeated today, you know? And sometimes it's children, do you know where your parents are? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just sad. All right, so that's the desires <laughs> of the flesh. What about the desires of the eyes? How is that different? Well, I, I think that may be not so much uh, wrong things, such as we may think about pornography or drugs or alcohol, but but it could just just be the materialism, you know. I've I've got to have the latest this, the latest that. I got to have this label and that label. And the idea behind all that, if I have all that stuff, it makes me somebody. It's kind of a show off attitude. Uh, all three of those those temptations there in First in John, they're all connected together, and it's real hard to sometimes separate one from the other. But but it's really the glitter of the world, and you know that that's kind of what the devil did to Jesus when he tempted him. He took him up to the mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Well, what was he doing? He's appealing to his eyes, and and look at all this. All this can be yours, and it always comes with a price. It always does, and so I think that's that's the temptation that that again we have to think about. You know, yeah, a, a lot of people in past their teens, their twenties, their thirties, and their forties are living with regrets of those things. I mean, they've bought and bought and bought and bought, and they're so much in debt now, and they don't know how they can ever get out of that hole. And they bought things to impress people they don't even like. They bought things they couldn't afford, and it's just the glitter of the world. And every commercial is about that. You've got to have this. You will never be happy until you have what this product is. And so we buy into that. And that gets us in trouble so many times. You know, the word that comes to my mind as you're describing that is priorities. And this goes back to leadership, right? That if anyone is going to be responsible to set the spiritual pace, it's it's dad, right? If anyone is called by God to model kingdom first priorities, it's the man of that house, the head of that house, the, the father of that house. And I'm afraid that in many respects, we've got men out in the world, even who claim to be disciples who expect their children to have one order of priorities, but they're modeling a very different set of priorities in the home. And that's the exactly the Genesis chapter 3 pitfall, I think, that you're warning us against. Absolutely. And, and again, it, it's so easy in uh, the lifestyle of America to fall into that. Yeah. And, you know, we, we get these high school 
athletes. They they go off to college and then they sign a, a pro career and immediately they they just get millions upon millions just for signing their name on the contract. It's it's it just doesn't make sense, and a lot of them are ruined by those very things. So the we we hear the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. You've brought out that all three of these are connected. But anything specific that you would attach to the pride of life? Well, pride, of course, pride means arrogance. It's something <clears throat> that God just cannot stand. Is arrogance. Uh, when, when some is arrogant, he, he will not listen. He thinks he has all the answers. He knows everything. And that, that arrogant, closed heart, uh, I'm better than you are, is exactly the opposite of Jesus Christ. Jesus described himself as lowly and humble in heart. Jesus had no problem of helping others who were less than, he did things for others that could never do anything for him. He'd had no problem going to Samaria, had no problem helping lepers. He, he was always serving others. The pride of life won't do that. Uh, it's all about me. You serve me. Why should I help you unless I'm going to get something out of the deal? It's all about making myself better. And what what the pride of life is, is, is just walking through life with a mirror in front of your face. And all you see is you. How I feel defines everything. If I don't like church, I'm not going to go. Why? Because I don't like it. If I don't like you, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Why? Because I don't like you. It's all about me. That's the pride of life. And so it, it, it just becomes selfish and self-centered. It ruins marriages. It ruins every relationship. And again, that spirit is either enhanced or destroyed in the home through the father. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, as parents, specifically as a father, sounds like this translates into everything from how I treat my brothers and sisters in Christ, how I talk about my church family, how I deal with those times when maybe I'm frustrated, I'm not getting my way, all the way down to maybe how I treat a a waitress in a restaurant or someone in a grocery line. Dads, moms, we have to be aware that little hearts and minds are soaking up those interactions. and, And I might be all kinds of frustrated, but the way that I deal with that, they're not just gonna see that and hear that, they're going to be shaped by that. It, I mean, as simple as how they, they're sitting in the back seat, how they see you drive down the highway of life. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're always blowing your horn, you're always having road rage, you're always angry, uh, that's going to translate to them. And th- that's going to be an impression upon them. And so, uh, you know, to, back to the Genesis 3 lesson, you know, Adam was there, but he didn't say anything and he didn't do anything. And what we need to see is God's going to expect us as leaders of the home to be saying something and to be doing something. And that's really what we need to get out of this as we think about our roles as God has for us. So there's no doubt in my mind that a a dad is driving down the road listening to this conversation right now. And if that's you, we are so thankful that you've given us 20 minutes of your time 
Roger, if you were able to sit in the passenger seat in light of this lesson, the listening ear from Genesis chapter 3, you've emphasized that the servant continues to speak. What might you say to that young dad as he's about to head into work another day in the office or in the factory, whatever it is, before he goes back home, opens that front door and interacts with his family? Anything that you would say to him in light of this valuable lesson? Well, you you know, you play a role that's invaluable to your family. I mean, your your kids are going to have a lot of people in and out of their lives. They're going to have friends. They're going to have coaches. They're going to have teachers. They'll have Bible class teachers. They'll have people at church. There's a lot of people that's going to be running in and out of your kids' lives. But no one will have the significance that you do. And years and decades from now, if the Lord allows, they will look back and they will remember, Dad was here. Dad said something. Dad stood for something. That's that's what's going to be important. That's the role you have to have. doesn't mean you have to be mean, but what it means is you have some conversations. And so when you go home tonight and you're going to be around that kitchen table, turn off the TV. Everyone put their phone in the basket, and that basket's put in another room. And we're going to just talk. We're going to talk about the day. We're going to talk about lessons learned, things I saw, things I'm thankful for, things I need to be looking out for. And and you're you're going to you're going to talk about the church family, how we can help them. What cards can we be writing? What good can we be doing? And and through all of that, what you're going to realize is it's time for Adam to speak. It's time for Adam to do something. And I can't let the schools raise my kids. It's not the job of the church to raise my kids. It's not even the wife's job. God places that upon the role of husbands, of fathers. And so it's time to step up and just bringing a paycheck home, making sure the yard's cut and the bills are paid. That's good. But that has nothing to do with raising somebody. And so God wants you to be engaged and involved and doing the things that you ought to be doing. Fathers, we heard on Sunday from Ephesians 6, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you've not had the opportunity to watch or to listen to this past Sunday's sermon, I would certainly encourage you to do it. Our world is in desperate need of godly leadership that starts at home. This was a valuable lesson for young and old men and women, but especially if you're a husband and a father, we'd encourage you to revisit that sermon. You've got the opportunity this very evening, moms and dads, to continue to help your children develop spiritually and you to bolster your own faith and courage in the Lord. Our Wednesday evening summer series continues this evening. We're excited to have Kevin Harrington from Alabama with us. Roger, Kevin is no stranger to this church family. He's not. Uh, Kevin was one of the young men that trained in our preacher training program and after he finished that went back to college he came back for a few months and was working with us in kind of a dual relationship and Kevin is near and dear to our family personally but it's just a a great preacher it's great to see him grow so much in the Lord and be so active Uh, he's a writer he's he's very connected with the congregation there and just doing phenomenal work and it it will be a delight to come back and reconnect with Kevin once again. In Christ alone is our theme, and Kevin may have the most 
provocative phrase in the entire hymn, the wrath of God was satisfied. Such a pivotal idea from the scriptures. I know Kevin is excited to present that lesson to us. We're excited to have him here. We would love to have you join us at 7 o'clock p.m. Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to This Week at Charlestown Road. We would love to see you at 7 o'clock p.m. this evening. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week, and we would love to have you come and grow with us.